0: You know, I, I love it when God's people ch- show that worship is bigger than a building or a facility or even comfort. Um, anytime things are different on a Sunday morning or in our lives, there tends to be some anxiety. I don't know why it is, but uh, anytime the chairs are different or or anything like that, people get a little... Uh, upset or worried or stressed out. If you don't think that's true, try sitting in someone's seat. And you'll see the stress and the anxiety if there's any kind of change. And so, uh, what we're talking, we've been in a series starting off this year. The focus, the, the, the theme of this year is the adventure. And it it comes from a line that people who see life as a great spiritual adventure have little time for rebellion. And so that's the year-long theme, and we decided to start off this entire year with this series called The Four Fears, the four fears that will stop you from engaging in the adventure that faith is. The first week, we did the fear of failure. Second was the fear of pain or discomfort. Last week, we did the fear of ridicule, and today we're talking about the fear of the unknown. We had no idea, because I do my sermon series a year in advance, I had no idea that the fear of the unknown would be Pardon Our Progress Sunday. I didn't know that. God works miracles. But the main thing today is faith is the assurance of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1 says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Well, I I wondered, starting off this, I wondered why people fear the unknown. Why why is that so deeply embedded in our psyche? Well, one thing possibly is that about 90% of our behaviors habit, what we're used to, We've seen what works, we grow comfortable with that, we, and any disruption to daily habit or any change or, or anything that's outside of what's familiar could possibly go bad, and so we don't like that. You see, we're used to cause and effect. We take this particular route to work, we get there. We take this particular route to work, we get there. We know it works, and therefore, any disruption to that could have a bad effect, um, and, and, but if the cause changes, we may get a different result, and who knows what that result will be? So we fear the unknown. Um, we, have, if, and all these people that we've seen have bad results from launching out into the unknown. Um, I, I, I saw like these these poor folks, our ancestors. <clears throat> we just want to give a shout out to all of the humans. You guys got that? <clears throat> All the hu- early humans who died figuring out what plants to eat, okay? Yeah, we we want to give a shout-out to them because, you know, we benefit from their demise. I hate to say it. We, know, we learn what to eat not by, by not eating what they just ate, and we want to give a shout-out to them. Um, and, and we built an entire mentality around this. For example, you know, the early, bir- I mean, early br- uh, bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. We don't want to be the first mouse. And so we fear... The unknown, and, and, and my favorite, though, is the, the, this one, that, that, that eagles may soar, but weasels don't get sucked into jet engines, okay? So, so we, you know, as long as, long as you know, I'll, I'll be a weasel because at least I won't get sucked into a jet engine. That kind of is the mentality. And so fear in the unknown, not wanting to be the casualty, we sit back. We sit back, we pause, and play it safe. And there's nothing wrong with that if that is what God has called you to do in this stage of life. There are some people in here who the call of God is to do exactly what you're doing, be faithful to exactly what you're doing right now. Those are There are folks that are being faithful to God's calling right now. However, There's also some of us that are in a stage of life where God is calling us to do something that we don't feel comfortable doing, that we fear the outcome of, and and we're hemming and we're hawing, and and, and we're, we're just afraid of what might happen if we were to launch out and follow God's command for our lives. There are people in here like that. And the second group is kind of meandering and kind of hemming and hawing. It's not that you don't believe in God. It's not that you don't even love God. It's that you're afraid because you've never done what God wants you to do. But here's, the, here's for the second group of folks. When we fear the unknown, this is what happens. The first thing that happens, we get stuck in meaninglessness. Everybody say meaninglessness. Meaninglessness, meaninglessness to a human being is like kryptonite to Superman, okay? that That is, it, it is the destructor of our beings, meaninglessness. Uh, one of the uh, uh, classic works on this, was called man's search for meaning written by a rabbi who had experienced the death camps in Nazi Germany and he said that it wasn't the starvation or the privation or the suffering or the humiliation that they uh, that that they endured that caused people to lose hope it's the it was the loss of purpose, the loss of meaning. He, saw, he was a rabbi. People would come to him, and when people would tell him, I've lost my purpose, I've lost my meaning, he knew that a suicide was coming. Meaninglessness is what happens to us when we play it safe. I don't know if you guys ever uh, seen the, the, uh, uh, the play Our Town. Uh, it was really, really, really popular. I don't know if it's still popular now, but it was really, really popular back in the 90s. And during the, the, uh, uh, during the uh, play, the main character dies, and she is allowed by the spirits to go back in her life and experience one day in her life, and she chooses her 12th birthday, the spirits tell her not to do it, but she goes and does it anyway. And she is invisible and, un, and, and is unable to be heard. And as she watches the people go through this day, she, she shouts at them, Don't you understand what you're missing? Don't you understand what's going on? And she turns and shouts to the audience, Do any of you really live when you're alive? I am no longer alive, and I wish I had the day that you have tomorrow. Are you going to do something significant with it? She shouts at the audience. When we we play it safe, when we fear the unknown, we get stuck in meaninglessness. We don't seize the day. We don't do things that are purposeful. Um, The second thing, though this is the big one is that we fail to create our own stories we fail to create our own stories uh, one of the most strange one of the strangest proverbs i've ever encountered is proverbs 22:13 it seems like it's this random weird statement that makes no sense at all it says this this is from solomon solomon says <laughs> solomon says uh the proverbs 22:13 the sluggard says there's a lion outside i'll be killed in the public square That's the whole proverb. what, What does that mean? Well, if you delve deeply into that, what he's saying is that people are very, very, very good. Some people are very, very good at seeing what might happen. It might happen bad. And so the sluggard who stays in his house says, I can't set foot outside because something bad's going to happen to me. There's a light, and he begins to make up things that might happen, things that will go badly if I step out there. So i got to stay inside, and I have to stay in my bed, and I can't face life because, man, something bad might happen. That's what the proverb is talking about. It makes a very, very, very good observation about people who see defeat before they even start. And you say, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with that. We allow this kind of thinking to paralyze us, to keep us stagnant and still. And you, you might actually be surprised to realize that a stagnant, still Christian is Satan's masterpiece. Yeah. If you don't believe me, in the screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis, if you've never read the Screw Tape Letters, I highly recommend it. It's written from the devil's perspective. And the undersecretary of hell is writing to a tempter who's working on a human. And he says this particular one is called The Road to Hell. Check this out. He says this, you can make him, meaning the human, do nothing for long periods. You can keep him up late at night. Not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that at last, he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see I spent most of my time doing neither what I ought nor what I even liked. The Christians describe the enemy as one without whom nothing is strong, and nothing is very strong, he writes. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why. And the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. <clears throat> or in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that ma- ma- had not even lust or ambition to give them a rush, but which, once chance has started them, the creature's too weak and fuddled to shake it off. And he says this, get this, people. You will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, meaning God. It does not matter how small the sins are provided their cumulative effect. is to edge the man away from the light and into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the one, gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Satan's goal if for you is not to be a murderer. His goal for you is to separate you from God. And that means he has to separate you away from the adventure of faith. To separate you from your purpose, from your calling to remove excitement and passion and energy and risk and meaning from your life. His finished work is the bored person endlessly drumming his fingers on the, uh, on, on the chair uh, uh, in a cold room staring at the wall watching the years go by never having done anything significant or bad or awful but nothing that he was designed to do. Leading a life of quiet desperation up to the very point when you die. That's Satan's finished work for you. You have to understand that that is one of the things we face. And fear of the unknown is what will keep us stagnant, not creating our own stories, not doing anything of significance. And Jesus gives us an amazing, amazing guide to conquering the fear of the unknown. Uh, And and, and he, he says this in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, if you guys will turn there. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They don't toil or they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, Oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus gives us three steps to overcoming the fear of the unknown. Step one is this right here. We have to realize the futility of worry. Jesus really takes us to task here, he does. I would imagine people say the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest thing in the world. This is during the Sermon on the Mount. This is quite possibly one of the most offensive things he could say. Because some of us have made a art form out of worrying. I'm talking you could probably, you worry so well you could probably do it for a living. I mean, that's what a lot of us do. We made a profession out of worrying. But the first thing he tells us is to realize the utter futility of worrying about the unknown. He says, can it, can it, any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's a good question. It's a very good question. Has anyone, by worrying, benefited themselves? You know, has life been better because of worry? Now, as a matter of fact, worry takes years off of our lives. I think we need to start thinking about worry in financial terms. That's what we need to do. We need to start thinking your thoughts and your energy, your time. Let's say that those are dollars. And like you, I have limited dollars. I cannot do everything I want to do. Cannot invest in everything I want to invest. I can't buy everything I want to buy. So you have to prioritize. What gets your dollars? Well, let's say that um, your financial guy or lady calls you up and says, I've got this stock that I want you to buy. It is guaranteed to go down in value. Produces no dividends How many do you want to buy? How many of y'all would jump on that one? Anybody jump on that one? No, because we're not such fools. We would never invest money in something that does not give returns, would we? Well, that's what Jesus says we do when we worry. You're investing in a stock that does not give you any returns. He says it's utterly futile to worry. Can any of you add a single hour to your life by worry? The futility of worrying what might happen. And it, it, that's exactly what Jesus says. Now, here is the thing. I found this great graphic right here. Check this out. I want you guys to see this. There's a huge circle saying things I worry about. And then the things that actually can happen is a very small part of that, right? <clears throat> and then things that actually happen Do happen. What percentage of the whole big circle do you think that things that do happen is? 1%? Half a percent? That's a very, very good graphic. That's very true because the things we worry about, 99% of them can't happen, won't happen. And they take our time, they take our energy, they take our passion and our focus off the things that never can happen, yet they get our energy and our time and our focus. Jesus says you have to realize the futility of worry if you want to conquer your fear of the unknown. The second thing Jesus tells us is this, is that we have to trust in God's provision. If you want to overcome the fear of the unknown, you have to have trust in God's provision. Remember, faith is assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is is to trust in God's provision. Psalm 37, 25 says this, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And Jesus, in this, in this uh, passage, he addresses the th- three things that we fear. Are we gonna have enough? He says, are we, w- what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? Three things that are kind of essential to life. Food, water, clothes, you gotta have those things, right? And Jesus says, why do you worry about these things? He says, Jesus singles out these, these three things and they're legitimate questions. Aren't they legitimate questions? I mean, I'm, I, I don't know how long you can live without food and water and clothes. I probably can't live very long without them. But Jesus says absolutely not to worry about these things. And you're looking at him and saying, Jesus, what, what, what in the world are you, our entire society, our entire way of life is based off of these things. And he says this, he says, pagans run after those things. And then it's the next line that's so telling. He says, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Did you know that? See, a lot of times we forget that God is intimately involved with us. He knows us. He knows the numbers of hairs on our heads. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows that you need those things. He created you. He created life. He knows you need food. He knows you need water. He knows you need clothing and shelter. He knows you need all of those things. And what he wants you to do here is says, stop chasing after my gifts and chase after the giver of those gifts. I want you to run after me. I don't want you to run after these things. I want you to run after me because what is the next, it says, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Instead of seeking after the stuff, we seek after the one who gives the stuff. We make Jesus and God and his kingdom our priority and we trust in his provision. That's the one. That's the big way to alleviate the fear of the unknown. Now, this has been misinterpreted. I have to say this: there have been people who've used this to justify laziness. <clears throat> I'm not running after a job. I'm not running after this. I'm, God's going to provide for me, and they get all mad when God doesn't. Well, it's nothing new. In the Bible, the pe- people who lived in the town of Thessalonica did this. They quit working, expecting to be taken care of. And Paul writes them two very, very stern letters, First and Second Thessalonians, saying, "If you don't work, you don't eat." Okay. Seeking first God's kingdom means seeking his purpose for you, and his purpose for you is to, be, is, is to provide for yourself and for your relatives. It says that in, in 2 Thessalonians. If you do not provide for yourself and your relatives, you have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. It says that, that, is, that is what it says. That is part of seeking his kingdom, okay? But we seek, we work, and God provides. We trust in God's provision. See, what i found is that when my focus is on the giver and not the gifts, this is what happens. When I commit my life to doing things his way, when I run after him and not after food or drink or clothes or money, this is what happens. Uh, He he shows me where to earn income. He guides me to the right job. Um, He will show you how to manage that money so you have enough. He will show you what to spend it on. He will show you how to conduct yourself so that you keep your job. He will uh, g- get keep greed out of your life so you don't spend recklessly and, c- and consume all you have. And he will give you self-control to bless the work of your hands. That's what happens when we, when we run after him. We trust in his provision. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is what happens when we seek the giver, not the gifts. We trust in God's provision. Is there anyone in here with enough faith to trust God's provision? And stop fearing the unknown. And then Jesus tells us, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, when we focus on problems, God looks very small. When we focus on God, our problems look very small. Okay? Whatever you're focused on is what's going to look large. What Jesus is saying is the best way to overcome fear of the unknown is set about the tasks that we are called to today. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, For tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Each day has enough trouble. He's saying, I want you to focus on the present. Now hear this. You want to eliminate worry? You want to eliminate the fear of the unknown? You have to focus on what God has for you today. Not tomorrow, not two weeks from now, not 10 years ago. Today. Focus on on the present. Be faithful to what God wants you to do today. It is Satan's strategy to keep your mind endlessly spinning on what might happen, what could possibly happen when Jesus knows that most of what is going to happen is determined by what we do today. Right? The decisions you make today have way more influence on what happens in the future than any random thought or worry you might have. Let me give you some examples. Many people worry about money. It's a legitimate legitimate concern. you got to have it to live in our society. What my finances will be. Will I have enough money to retire? Will I be in debt forever? These worries and these fears of the unknown. Will I be able to go on vacation? Will I be able to afford a mission trip? Well, if you get on a budget today and start managing your money well today, as God has called you to do, get on the 101080 10, plan like we've recommended here at this church that will determine your f- future financial picture what if you are faithful today then your finances in the future that you're worried about will be okay is what we're faithful to today that helps us conquer the fear of the unknown many people are concerned about eternity and we should be because we're going one of two places people we're either going to heaven with Jesus or we're going to hell that's what the bible says we're going one of two places in eternity. And we need to be concerned about that. People are worried about that. Well, commit your life to Christ today. Surrender to his will today. Allow Jesus to forgive your sins today. And that will determine your future. That will eliminate the fear of the future. Um, some people are worried. Will my children grow up to stay in the faith. That's a big concern. That's a big worry because so many young people Leave the faith when they get into college and out of the house. Will my children stay in the faith? I hear parents worried about that all the time. Like I said, well, they should. Well, so parents, disciple your children today. Make sure scriptures part of your your conversation around the dinner table. Pray with them. Show them your faith. Grow today. And that will, to a large part, determine the future. Um, uh, uh, Your actions today will in large part determine what you face in the future. And that's why Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. I have found when I am faithful to what God calls me to today, I have very, very very little fear of the unknown future. It's when I have not focused on what I'm supposed to be faithful to today that all of the fear of the future comes about. Remember, your future is more determined by what you do here in the present than by anything else else i'm gonna invite the band to come on back up and i ask you to i just want to let these questions set on your heart today what is god calling me to today not in the future not a missed opportunity you had five years ago what is god calling you to do today this very day what do you need to be faithful to I ask you, Cattles Christian Church, to set about the task that God has for us today. To be diligent, to be faithful in accomplishing those things. And let's see if Jesus' words come true, that we let the future care about itself. That's what Jesus says to do. How about we trust God enough to do that? Why don't we set about the task today and we let the future, as Jesus says, Worry about itself. What an amazing concept. That's tough, isn't it? That's scary. But that's what Jesus tells us to do. I ask you, for those of you that don't know what God wants you to do today, first of all, focus on your fo- two most important relationships that with God and that with your spouse, if you're married. Those are the two most important relationships we were designed for. Be faithful to his ways and his word. By being faithful with our tasks in the present, we eliminate a great deal of unknowns in the future. Faith is the assurance of what we do not see. I was told once that religion is booming, but faith is dying. Is that true? Or... Could we reverse that trend and take Jesus at his word, stop fearing the unknown, set about the day's tasks, and let the future worry about itself? That's what Jesus says to do. I say we give it a shot. I say we have faith in the one who's never let us down ever again. We're going to to spend some more time in worship then we're going to go into a time of communion where I want you to reflect and I want you to pray. Maybe, maybe during this communion time you just get alone with God and you say, God, what is it you want me to do? What is my calling? What is my purpose? What do I need to stop fearing? And what do you want me to just go do? I want to let that Linger, and I want you guys to do that. As we continue in our worship, as we head towards communion, after this next song, I ask you to do that.